How are you today? I am so glad you guys are here today. How many of you recognize the name Jeffrey Chaucer? Jeffrey Chaucer. Not a football player, not a basketball player. This renowned, thank you. Some of you have uh, some history of, of English literature. This renowned 14th century poet. In fact, some say he's, he was the father of, of English literature. Some would say that. I only know one thing about Chaucer. He, he had this one claim that said, all good things must come to an end. All good things must come to an end. Now think about the implications for your life. Hey, ponder for a moment, just one good thing going on in your life right now. And Chaucer would say, uh, don't get too comfortable because it's going to end. Like, like there's a time limit, there's an expiration there. Whatever good thing you're thinking about, Chaucer would say, it, it's going to end because all good things must come to an end. I don't think Chaucer got invited to a lot of parties. I don't think, don't think he was in on the celebration. Can you imagine a birthday party? It's your birthday and you're all excited and Chaucer comes up and says, enjoy it now while you can. You're one year closer to the grave, buddy. <laughs> or a wedding celebration. Uh, same thing with him. You know, just congratulations. I'm happy for you, but you got to know this. It won't last. One way or another, it won't last. It's going to end because all good things must come to an end. And I think about my life and your life, and there are a lot of things that, that would tend to suggest that maybe Chaucer's right. Back when I was in elementary school, uh, the end of May was the end of school. My brother and I uh, yearned for that day for nine months. When it finally came, uh, good life finally began. Summertime began. We would play baseball from sunrise to sunset. Uh, and and there, were, there was so much good in our life. But Chaucer was right. He said all good things must end. And every August or September, school started again. I mean, Chaucer hit the nail on the head. You go forward several years, I, I got out of school, I started in the oil business, and it was this massive boom in the oil business, and while there had been 100 years of booms and busts, uh, the entire world said, it's different now, like this will be the eternal boom because the supply and demand have finally crossed into the last drop produced, it'll be this boom, it will never end, but Chaucer was right, like six or seven years later, the boom became a bust then, Chaucer was right. In that season, had a, a good friend that lived right across from us that owned, he had 10 acres, and he and his wife had built for themselves and their kid their dream home. They had uh, built the stables and the corrals for the horses that they bought and loved. They had planted the size of crops they wanted to enjoy their own food they grew. And they, they, had, they had the good life for them. It was everything they ever wanted. He was a manager of the biggest retail store in the entire city of Abilene until that store shut down. And once again, I look at that and I think, maybe Chaucer had something going. All good things must come to an end. One day this week, I was standing in a doorway of an office, and I wasn't paying it. I didn't know I was doing it, but I was, I was doing this. And the person said, do you have a pull muscle? And I, I thought for a moment, I said, no, I, I don't. But sometime this knee got old. I don't know what had happened, but, but this one got old. And then I, I allowed myself to think further, which I should have never done. But I was thinking back to, to years of time back in my 20s. I was running a lot of, of 10K races. And for a long time, almost every race was faster than the last. And I was setting personal bests right and left for years and years and years. And it dawned on me, this is the first time I've thought about this in this fashion. But I set my last personal best 35 years ago this January. And there's not going to be another personal best. <laughs> that's, that's it. That's it. Chaucer, Chaucer, it appears, Chaucer was right. It would appear that all good things must come to 
and end. And it, are you, aren't you glad you came today? Aren't you glad you're here? Uh, if, if that's not bad enough, let me just take it worse, okay? I mean, Chaucer didn't address this, but what I would add to it is, is that even the good things, most of the good things aren't always good. They're not always reliable, they're not always dependable, not always consistent. Even if you think about your world, even the good things have some good and bad. High school, I was, um, I was always really shy around girls. I'm, I'm just getting used to Marie now after 40 years. But I was, so I, I happened to confide in one of my really, really good friends that there was this girl that I had an interest in. And, of course, it was going to take me a while to get the nerve up to ask her out. Well, he had never even noticed this girl. But within, within days, he had asked her out. He was a lot cooler than, than I was. And, and it was over. And he still remained a good friend, but he wasn't always a good friend. Even the good, before it finally has its termination date, according to Chaucer, even the good many times isn't always good. I, I had a boss in a season that he was a brilliant man. He was a good boss, but he could be Jekyll and Hyde. He, he could be good on a given day, but I never knew when the other one was going to show up and he was going to be bad. Even, even a good boss wasn't always good. I think about my own life, and I think there are times I can be so attentive and so attuned to Marie, but there are times I'm preoccupied and insensitive to her. And there are times with her I can be so selfless, but there are times I can be quite selfish, and, and she has to wonder sometimes which one she'll get today. There are times I can be so patient with her, but there have been times that I can be impatient with her, and again, she has to wonder which one will show up today. And so, uh, you know, where Chaucer says all good things must come to an end, if we look at reality, even the good things, even most of them, they're not fully reliable. But I, this, is, this is the point today. Jesus is the exception to all that Chaucer said and all that I've, all that I've said to this point. Jesus is the exception to that. Let me take us, walk us back. We're, we're at the very end of this series about Jesus that's titled, More, Every Heart's Desire. We've spent all the previous weeks talking about these attributes of Jesus, these things that are true about Jesus. We talked about him uh, being righteous, like fully, completely, always righteous. We talked about him being, uh, having love and being loving, having this perfect love, this unconditional love. We talked about him having all power and him having all knowledge and all wisdom. We talked about him being grace-filled. We talked about him as well being creative talked about him being present with us. And, and then last week I talked about him being joy-filled. And, and all of those things, all of those things are profoundly true about Jesus. But here's the capstone of all of it, that he is also enduring. He is also enduring. He is the one who never changes and never ends. In Hebrews 13, 8, it says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever profound truth. Everything we've said in the previous weeks, all of these attributes about him that are perfect and good, every single one, uh, Hebrews 13, 8 says he's always the same, yesterday, today, and forever. Nothing ever changes. And Malachi 3, 6, Old Testament stuff, talking about God, the Trinity, Father, Son, and Spirit, says, I am the Lord and I do not change. The, the message of Scripture is that that every attribute of Jesus that we've talked about is immutable. That means it cannot, it will not change ever, ever, ever. He is the exception 
to Chaucer. I've spent time reflecting to, uh, about my life and the life of some friends that I know. And I want to give you some illustrations of that that maybe you could apply to your own life as well. I, I thought about this, this uh, truth claim about Jesus that he always has all knowledge and all wisdom. And I thought back to a, a season. Marie and I had known Jesus for about a year and a half. We were moving to a new city. The biggest investment we would ever make would be in a home once again. And since we now knew him and we prayed and we believed in him, we believed he had all knowledge and all wisdom, we just, we asked him, this was a big first for us, we just asked him to guide us to the home he wanted us to have in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. And, uh, and we weren't uh, presumptuous about just uh, getting a map of the area and like, dropping a pin and wherever the pin made a mark, that's the house we buy. We, we got a realtor and we spent, uh, as it turned out, we would end up spending three days looking and the third day, we drive up to a house. We hadn't even gone in. And Marie and I got this, and this was new to us. We just got this sense this was the house God had for us. And we went in, and we looked at the house, and we, we had already determined that we would be downsizing from where we came from, and it was part of God's leading just to use our money better. And we looked at the house, and it was very adequate, and we continued to feel this sense this is the house. And, and so we bought the house, and... Um, made the move, some weeks passed, made the move, and, and, and I found a piece of paper I had forgotten about. Many weeks before that very first time we saw the house, Marie and I had made this list of everything we would hope to find in a house. And it was 20 to 22 things on this list, and none of them were high-ticket items. I remember one was we wanted some mature trees in the yard. Every house we'd owned, we'd always planted trees. We wanted mature trees. I know we had on the list, we wanted a guest room, because we were long ways away from family, and they'd come visit. And there were 20 other things I've forgotten about by now. But I discovered that list and pulled it out and compared to the house we bought, and every single thing was on the list. It was like God saying, see, this was the house. This was the house I picked for you. And then the house began to crumble. <laughs> I, I give you the, the cliff note version of it. The, the entire roof, it was a, a raw um, treated wood roof had to be completely replaced, which was a big ticket item. And then the foundation of the house would uh, break dramatically in the very center of the house, and there would be major uh, foundation rebuild and repair of the house. And then we discovered termites that infested the house, and we had to rid ourselves of them and then recarpenter much of the house as well. And there were many other items as well. And, and it was just like one thing after another of this house that we thought God picked for us. And actually, and maybe you think we're really dumb, but we continued to think that God had picked this house. And as it happened, we had built up some savings far beyond we expected that we would. And we had, we had money to pay for all of the repairs. By the time we repaired the termites, we were out of money, but that's when the house stabilized then at that point. And, and so uh, uh, this is what began to unfold, actually, soon after we moved in. There was a young man that lived, that lived with his parents next to us, uh, next door, and God seemed to be prompting me to uh, spend time with him and get to know him and begin to try to tell him about Jesus and this life with Jesus. And a couple of years passed of that, and this young man had no interest at all. Loved the friendship, but no interest in Jesus at all. I would begin to try to go there for two years, and he would just, it would all turn off and everything. Until late, late one night, he came to our door, um, middle of the night, deeply distraught, because his father had been 
um, murdered in cold blood beside him that night. And um, a few days later, that young man would be sitting on our couch in our living room, and he would trust his life to Jesus. And now 30 years have passed, and he's been following Jesus with abandon. And, and so now I'm thinking back to all of that. When we just, first time we'd ask God about a big ticket item, would you guide us? Would you, you have all knowledge. You have all wisdom. Nothing catches you off guard. Would you show us the house? And more than ever, Marie and I know God picked that house. And I, I understand now that uh, the day will come that Marie and I will be in heaven. And this young man will be in heaven too. And I hope that day doesn't come too soon, but it's getting closer <laughs> It used to be. A day is going to come. We're going to be in heaven. And I, I know, I know all of eternity when I, I look at the Father and I see the joy that God the Father has about this young man being there. And all of eternity, I look at Jesus and the joy I'll see that Jesus has because this young man's there. And all of eternity, I'll look at this young man and see the joy he has for being there. And the truth is, if God would rewind 30 years all over again, and we ask him about the house, and if he told us everything he knew, and he'd say, hey, I've got one pick for you, and you got to know, you know, that nest egg you built that you're so happy with now, uh, that house, I, Jesus would say, I already know about the roof and the foundation and the termites, all the, I already know that, but I already know that your nest egg is just enough. Um, but there's one more thing you should know, there's a guy next door. And, and if I give you the house two, far, two houses further away, you may never give him a second glance. If I give you the house one street over, you'll never even know he exists. And so I'm going to suppose he rewound and said, I'll let you in on all that I know. Would you take this house? But this is the one I picked for you. In a heartbeat, in a heartbeat. Would we rather have more money now or have, have this future with this young man? In a heartbeat. Jesus knows everything and has all wisdom. And when you go to him and I go to him and we ask, he's not giving an answer. He's not guiding in the absence of, of any knowledge missing or any wisdom missing. And he's always the same about that. He's always had that knowledge of wisdom. He has it in this moment and he always will have it. It never changes. I've been thinking about the creativity that Jesus has. I talked about that a few weeks back, and I thought about a good friend of ours named Carrie, that she's either at this service or she was at the last service, and, and creativity hit me when I thought about her because about four or five years ago, she learned about there's this national ministry. It's a great ministry that, in essence, it, in elementary schools, their heartbeat is to have, have an after-school gathering of kids that might stay afterwards, and they could learn about Jesus. And it's a great ministry. has been running for a long time. And and Carrie learned about it. She became engaged with it. Uh, she launched a campus with this ministry there. And as she was, as the weeks were unfolding, months unfolding, she and the team began to see some brand new creative ways to tell kids about Jesus and to talk about his love and his care and talk about relationship with Jesus. And they began to see creative ways to make all this fun in this context and everything. And so they began to make these changes. And then they discovered that where the typical campus site would have 25 to 30 kids as time was unfolding they ended up with many multiples of that there and this ministry is a great one they would always do debriefings and they would they debrief with Carrie and the team and they said this is really most unusual what are you doing and Carrie and the team said well we're doing this different and this different and this different and and in such a healthy fashion 
this big national ministry, they pondered that and prayed about that and then said, you know what? We still feel called to do everything just the way we have. And it appears to us that you feel very called to do things in a new creative way. And as this unfolded, and this is so cool, this is the way the kingdom of God should work. There was this, there was this beautiful blessing both ways of to the big, great national ministry, may God bless you more than ever. And the ministry to carry in this little team, may God bless you in this creativity more than ever. And so now a little bit of time has passed, and this first campus has 180 kids in it. And just in the last weeks, two more campuses have now opened with what's now called Club One, and there are already 125 kids at those campuses, and 41 kids have given their lives to Jesus in this. The creativity of Jesus. The one you go to is always creating the one you reach out to is, is always, always the creator. He always has been. He is in this moment. He always will be. That's simply who he is. He never changes. I thought about the power of Jesus. I've told this story in, in um, different fashion once or twice, so some of you would know this, but it's good to hear about the church. Uh, in the weeks building up to this church starting, there were, many of you would know, there were five uh, families, five couples that were going to start the church. And we got within uh, three weeks of the actual start date of it, and it became apparent that we had, while we had uh, some small funds that had been given, not by five families, but by four, because I didn't have a job at that point because I had left the church I'd been at and had no income and no money, so these four families had given some funds, but it was clear it wasn't enough. We had to buy sound equipment. We, we were going to start in a living room. We already had a contract at a school that had to be, a contract had to be paid there, um, Marie and I and our two sons needed to eat. And so three weeks out, because the bank account is still pretty empty, uh, it just so happened that this is just coincidence, but it was the five men in those couples that happened to be the financially bent ones. Now you take another five couples, it could just, just as easily be the five women that are financially bent. In this case, it's just the five men. So we met at our house three, three weeks out. Four men, four of us are there. The fifth one calls in and says, hey, uh, don't leave. I'm, I'm coming. Sorry, I got hung up. And uh, some time passes. He calls again. Don't leave. I'm coming. Uh, you know, don't give up. And so two hours pass. And in that two hours, the four of us are praying and saying, God, you're starting this church. There, there's simply some basic financial needs, and we can't meet those. How do we meet them? The two hours pass, and the fifth man shows up. And he says, let me tell you what's happened the last two hours. He said, two years ago, there was, um, there was a financial venture, financial investment. And uh, it, it became quite clear that the odds of anything coming of it were very, very, very remote. And my wife and I said to God, if anything ever comes of this, we'll give half of it to you. And he said, I had not thought about this investment for many, many months. I got a call this afternoon from some others involved in the investment. And they said, we need to meet tonight at the very same time this meeting is going to start. And these last two hours we've been meeting, and, and there's this done deal on the investment. And, and the half of it is going to go to FCC to start this church. It turned out they would give more than half of it. But, but God's power, do you understand God's power to, like, to move markets, 
to move businesses, to move investments, to move people, to move thought processes, for God to wire where this man had two, for two years, he knew it was so remote, hadn't even thought of it for months. And, and that night, at the very time, four of us are praying, God, we don't have it and we don't have the power, but you do. In that very same interval, God is, is, is turning the financial world in our financial world to provide that. It's the power of God. The God, the, God, the Savior, the one that, that you would turn to has all power. He always has. He always will. Not most of the power. He has all power, unlimited power. I thought about Jesus' love that he says is never-ending, that it's enduring, that it's unconditional, that it's, it's without limit. And, and I instantly thought back to when uh, I left the old business and we moved to Kentucky for seminary. We, we moved across the tracks because it's the only place we could afford. And uh, we dealt with that. We were fine with that. We, we moved there. We, a little concerned about our kids just not being able to give them all the stuff that moms and dads want to give their kids. But we, we were okay with that. We, we, to this day, our sons are grown. We love our sons more than life. We do. If you're a parent, you know that. And so we move across the tracks. And it meant we lived with very few material possessions. What we didn't realize was the house we would move into was, as you looked out the back door, the house that we watched, uh, a, a drug dealer lived in that house. We would see him come and go for some time before we, he was arrested and we understood what he was doing then. He lived right behind us. What we did not know was on our cul-de-sac, there were two active sexual predators on our cul-de-sac. We wouldn't know that until both of them were arrested as well. And you might think about about this Jesus, and you might think, did he know? (laughs) Does he love our kids more than we, the parents? Does he really? And you might wonder about that. But looking back, this is what Marie and I have seen. We we had always, and we had wanted our kids not to be materialistic, and and we'd wanted our kids to love people, and we tried our best, but we knew we were so incapable. Looking back, we proved that. We were incapable of, of... of imparting those values to them. But now both of them are grown. And we have these two sons. They just don't care about material stuff. But they care deeply about people. All people. Especially disadvantaged people. And Marie and I have looked back. And we realized it was those three and a half years across the tracks. That began, Jesus began to embed that reality within them. Does he love our sons with unconditional love? Did he back then when he moved us there? Are you kidding me? I mean, there's no way we could have have, um, imparted those things. And and I know my wife and I, there's no way. But Jesus Jesus always loves with perfect, infinite love. And, and And that never changes. That never ends. As I've thought through all this and all these attributes, many of you have been here for most or maybe all the series. And I've, I found myself wanting to ask you what you've bet your life on. Everyone bets their life on something. What have you bet your life on? What is the anchor that you're tying your life to? What, what is it that you are looking to to give you deep satisfaction and contentment and, and a sense of purpose in this life? Another way of saying it is, what is it that you worship? Who or what do you worship? 
And for some of you, if you would just be honest, some of you in this room might be thinking, honestly, I'm banking on, I'm counting on, like my ace card is my looks, my good looks. I was never one of those. But some of you, some of you, that's the truth, and you know that. And if it's you, you probably aren't my age because Chaucer's right. <laughs> Every good thing must come to an end. And, and I don't care how great you look today, but someday, someday, that one's going to deeply disappoint you. Some of you, if you're honest, you're thinking, it's my ability. I'm so gifted. I'm so skilled. I'm so smart. I'm so athletic, whatever it is. And you're thinking, that's, that's my ace card. My bet is on that. That will deliver for me. But if that's your ace in the hole, Chaucer's right. Every good thing must come to an end, and that would deeply disappoint you. Some of you, your ace in the hole is a career path, and you're banking on that. That's where the satisfaction, contentment, mean will come. I mean, that's what's going to finally make life worth what it should be. That's your bet. If you're betting on that, it's going to deeply disappoint you. Some of you, it's, it's finances. Some of you, it's material possessions. The reality is, if, if you or I bet our life on something that can and will change, we have set ourselves up for a massive fall. I'll say it again. If you or I bet our lives on something that can and will change, we've just set ourselves up for a massive fall. We will find ourselves, if we're still breathing, we'll find ourselves once again looking for more. More is every heart's desire. Whatever the chase is, there's, it's not enough. More is every heart's desire. And hopefully you have found, or today you'll find, or soon you'll find, that Jesus is the more we've all been looking for. He is the more we've all been looking for. Every single attribute about him that we've talked about not only was true to eternity past, not only is true in this moment, but will always be true about him. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. You will never encounter him and find him in a bad mood. Never. You'll never find him too busy or too tired, or you'll never find him inattentive to you, distracted. You'll never catch him off guard with circumstances. He already knows all of the circumstances, even the future ones. He already knows that. He'll never waver in his righteousness. He'll never waver in his grace toward you. He'll never waver with this, from this immeasurable joy that he has. He'll never lack power. He will never, never, never lack love. He's, he's the only bet that delivers. He's the only anchor that holds. He's the only one you can, you can bank your whole life on that will deeply satisfy and bring contentment and bring purpose. He's the only one. He's the only one. He's the only one worthy of worship. I understand that there's some of you here today, you haven't, you haven't bet your life on him. You've been playing the most recent bet. And my hope is today you would change your bet. You would bet your very life on him. He's the one that will deliver on your bet. And the way he says to do that, he says you, you have to place your faith in him. And biblically that means you have to say to him, please forgive my sins. The sins are, uh, are the mountain in the way. You have to say, please forgive my sins and please lead my life. Lead my life. I, I surrender to your leadership. And, and the moment you do that, the wall is blown down. There's this relationship with him. 
And he is everything we've talked about, and he will never change. He's every single thing we've talked about. I hope that there will be some of you, even, even in the next few minutes, that will, will pray that authentic prayer. You'll, you'll change your bet. He will become your anchor of what life will mean for you. And he will become the one worthy of your worship. Now, I know there are, there are a lot of you in this room. You've been, you've been following Jesus for maybe a day or a week or a year or a decade or decades. And I have found myself, as I think about who Jesus is, and what will never change, I found myself, one, wanting to obey with abandon. I have this, just whatever you say, even if it initially looks tough or bad or hard or costly, in the end, I understand, in the end, it's all going to play out more than I ever dreamed. And I have this sense, I just want to obey with abandon. And then I have this desire to deeply worship, just to worship Him. And so in a moment, the band's going to come up and this song that actually spawned the entire series is called Boldly I Approach. And, and that the heartbeat of the song is this, is this um, the person who might sing the song has placed their faith in Jesus. And they realize they can approach God like directly. They can approach the throne of God directly. There's no more wall anymore. And, and in doing that, then, there are these lines that we've been focusing on that, that say, Behold the bright and risen sun. In other words, look at the bright and risen sun, more beauty than this world has known. More beauty in him than the collective beauty of the entire universe combined. And my hope and heartbeat is, is that as the band begins to open the strains of this song, is that you'll begin to turn your heart to God and God alone. And, and you'll just, it's just you and him. And you will authentically worship him. Father in heaven, I thank you for, for Jesus and who he is and for all that he is. And I, <laughs> it's because that he never changes that I can worship him with abandon. I pray especially, Father, for those that until this hour haven't trusted their lives to him. I pray that, that your spirit would be compelling them that all of this is true. All that we've said that he is these recent weeks is true. And what's been said today out of Scripture is that he never changes is true. And I pray that they would, they would place their bet on Jesus, place their faith on Jesus, um, give leadership to Jesus, and ask forgiveness to him. I pray even in this time they would authentically do that. And then I pray, Father, that all of us that have come to know him, whether for a minute or decades, that in this time as we think about who he is and who he will always be, that we will... The world will disappear. It'd be you and us and Jesus. And we will worship with these hearts filled for you and for your son, Jesus. I pray in his name. Amen.